With me, Charlotte Cook, and Sally Murphy is in Ōtautahi now with the Rural News. Kia ora, Sally. And apple growers are being urged to do more to attract and keep local staff. Kia ora, Charlotte. Yes, securing a stable workforce was top of the agenda at this morning's Apples and Pears Conference in Christchurch. The pandemic caused huge shortages in the sector, which relies on overseas workers, either backpackers or those who come to New Zealand under the RSE scheme. Central Otago's CAJ Apples has spent nearly a decade trying to improve harvest to better suit local people and reduce the reliance on international workers. Post-harvest manager Jackie Vandervoort says that work has paid off. We ended up being caught up in what we'd call the backpacker era. We were 95% backpacker in the pack house, attracting myself plus three people. Each year would be my return rate. Their tenure was usually about three to four weeks. Five weeks would be tops, meaning retraining, relearning. Um, that's from a quality team, quality managers, call store managers, you name it. We started at the start of every season, so that posed a lot of challenges for us. I was ambitious, and I decided that I would move from a probably a 75 to an 80-hour week to Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, observable public holidays. So we built a larger facility, and we've seen some real wins out of that. We've managed to attract New Zealanders um, year one, I think we've got about 24% New Zealanders, which we'd never seen. Uh, In year two, we actually got people returning. We got a 9% return rate. Jackie Vandervoort says the company wouldn't be able to get enough staff without the government's seasonal work scheme. It aims to attract and retain New Zealand workers by assisting with work-related costs such as transport and accommodation. Scheme spokesperson Jackie Harrison says other horticulture businesses could benefit as well. So what we saw with Jackie, um, we had a lot of returning people this year. So last year she was the second largest employer who used the New Zealand Seasonal Work Scheme. I would say about 70% of the guys that I processed this year for the New Zealand Seasonal Work Scheme for her were returnees. They knew what they could get. They understood that we would support them, and they came back. Miss Harrison says the scheme links up short-staffed orchards and pack houses with fit and able workers who would otherwise be on the job seeker benefit. To other news, confidence in the forestry sector appears to be split between the North and South Islands if nursery plantings for next winter are anything to go by. Patrick Murray, who runs a large-scale pine tree nursery in Tararua, says political uncertainty over the direction of forestry means his company is expecting to slash its normal production of 15 million seedlings. He says this winter's clients have pulled out of contracts and forward orders for next year are back by 60% because investors don't know what will happen with a proposed redesign of the emissions trading scheme. He says decisions over next winter's seedlings need to be made in the next few weeks. We won't be looking to be speculative. Seed costs and input costs are so high that we wouldn't grow trees uh, in case the policy doesn't get implemented or the proposed policies. So uh, if they don't, then the market's got a significant issue with lack of supply, uh, but we're not prepared to gamble. Meanwhile, in the South Island, Rangiora nursery owner Derek Parry says they sell 9 million pine seedlings each year and are expecting to produce similar numbers for next winter. Pretty much most of those um, orders are locked in now. 
for uh, 2024. So probably looking at nine, possibly nine and a half million trees for next year, confirmed. You weren't perhaps thinking that confidently a little while ago? No, um, I guess there's a little bit of anti-forestry sentiment out there, uh, also the carbon price dropping back. Uh, there was a few question marks and a little bit of hesitation, but uh, it seems to have disappeared now, and um, we're looking uh, for another good year next year. But Director of Forest Management Company, Forest360, says forestry is not a fun industry to be in at the moment, with low prices and demand out of China. Marcus Musson says there's also been uncertainty locally, because both the government and opposition have been making comments on the ETS, which isn't helpful. If confidence does return, it's just going to mean we're going to end up with a lack of, a lack of available seedlings, so we won't get the trees in the ground that we'd need to. Um, and it, it's not, it's not, you can't just flick a switch and put more seedlings in the ground so that, it'll be, you know, that, that effect would be felt for a couple of years. Got any feeling as to why there's a difference between a North Island and a South Island nursery? My thoughts would be there's a lot of land in the, in the South Island that was already sort of in place, so it's already planned to be planted. may have already gone through OIO, whereas the North Island may be a bit different. Marcus Musson says local confidence in forestry won't return until after the election when policies affecting the sector are set. Beef and Lamb New Zealand says it has no plans to reinstate the wool levy. Since growers opted to no longer support the levy back in 2009, wool prices have continued to drop, with some farmers making a loss off their wool clip. Speaking to the Primary Production Select Committee last week, Federated Farmers Wool spokesperson Toby Williams said the wool industry lacks unity and leadership in the face of desperately low wool prices and a levy is once again needed. Beef and Lamb Chairperson Kate Ackland says she understands farmers' frustrations over low prices but says a levy wouldn't fix everything. Beef and Lamb in its current capacity has got a pretty significant work programme and we might find it challenging to take on a wool levy at the moment because right now we're just really focused on making sure that we step up and we improve our delivery in our current levy streams. I also think we need to remember that like a wool levy is not necessarily a magic bullet that's going to turn things around. There'd need to be a really clear business case and, and some pretty clear uh, benefits. But if, if we were to go there, it, it would come under the Commodities Levy Act, so it would need a referendum that would include that business plan and benefits, and, and then it would require a vote from all wool producers, and that would have to be both weighted and also one for one. So, that, so there's quite a process to go through. Kate Ackland says beef and lamb would need a really clear indication from farmers that they want a wool levy, something that hasn't happened. Meanwhile, across the Tasman, Australia's chief vet says testing has found no cases of lumpy skin disease in the country's cattle herd. This comes after Indonesia suspended live cattle imports from four Australian facilities after the disease was found in livestock shipped there. But Mark Ship told the ABC since the ban, significant testing has found no cases of lumpy skin disease in Australia. So this is over a number of voyages, about five voyages, uh, that uh, these dozen cattle have been identified. Uh, so they, these are uh, animals that have become infected, we believe, uh, either on voyage or on arrival in Indonesia. 
Mark Ship says if the disease was found in Australia, the flow-on effects would be significant. It's a very serious disease of uh, cattle and buffalo. It causes large lumps on, on the skin, which are quite painful, and they can become infected uh, by fly bite and, and the like. Uh, it also has uh, quite a, a serious impact on trade. So countries that have got uh, lumpy skin disease are not able to export live animals, uh, some meat products and some dairy products. If Australia were to uh, contract uh, lumpy skin disease, it would uh, disrupt our ability to export live animals, uh, particularly cattle and, and buffalo. But it may well uh, disrupt uh, our exports of beef and uh, uh, dairy products as well, skins and hides. There's a range of products that are affected. Mark Ship says the four affected facilities make up about 50% of the export volume out of northern Australia. He says 28 other facilities around Australia continue to export to Indonesia. And just lastly, meat company Ansco, state-owned farming company Pamu and Gisborne-based Sterling Logging are just some of the finalists for this year's Ministry of Primary Industries Good Employer Awards. The awards aim to shine a light on employers who put their people first. The winners will be announced at a ceremony in Parliament later this month. And that's the Rural News for today. Kia pai, te ra. Thank you very much, Sally.